We're calling these lessons Required Christian Character, and uh, this is part two, author, finisher, covenant keeper. And these two lessons are all about keeping your word and really finishing what you start. And those two kind of go hand in hand. As Christians, we have to be men and women of integrity. I've, I've testified that in my 10-year career as a geologist and engineering and mining and environmental work, the best bosses I ever had were pagans. And the worst bosses were Christians. And unfortunately, the Christians would always use their Christianity as some kind of cheap excuse as to why I should obey them when I would much rather follow a pagan to do whatever he wanted me to do because the pagans all kept their word to me. The pagans were driven. The pagans knew how to be faithful over their job. The Christians, I don't know what their problem was or how they even, get, now that I'm on this side of leadership, I wonder how did they even get a job in the first place? How do they, how do they become in a position of leadership? I don't think I ever had a very successful Christian boss and that is unfortunate. I share that just to talk about, as Christians, we ought to be men and women of integrity that keep our word. That, the Old Testament word for promise is vow. We give our word, we, we commit a vow, we bring it to pass, and on top of that, we finish what we start. Too many times it's been my experience that Christians want to say, well, I'm a Christian, you can trust me, and they never finish what they start, or they default on their loans, or they default on their, bill, on their bills. Uh, Psalm says, only the wicked don't repay that which they owe. And I told you last week, there are the three P's that you don't loan money to, prostitutes, pastors, policemen. Police, but probably because they don't make much money. And I don't know, I don't know what the banking wisdom is behind it. But it hurts me that preachers slash pastors are in the same viewpoint as prostitutes, as in people bankers don't want to lend money to. And I think I told you last week the story of having to pay off a credit card that the church owed after the passing of uh, Pastor Vaughn, and it went into uh, probate. And uh, that, that collection guy said, we all joke about churches that you can't get any money out of them because they're too busy, you know, giving it all away or something. They never have any money for their creditors. And he talked about in the collection agency, they all hate having to call on churches. That violates what we're teaching here about being men and women of integrity and paying your bills paying back that which you owe, keeping your word. Sometimes your word is the debt that you owe. And uh, it may be wise that you give your word and you pray, Lord, don't give me any sleep or slumber until I bring my word to pass. This is a critical thing. We have become so loose with our mouth. We have that American expression, talk is cheap. Even the American culture says, put up or shut up. We're tired of hearing your promises. I've learned as a pastor, people come to me, Pastor, I'm so sorry, I'm going to make a change. And I say, well, we'll see. It's even made me a little bit cynical. I'm so sorry, I'm really going to make a change this time. We'll see. Put up or shut up. Because we've not, we, we've not learned that our word is so critical. And again, as, uh, as the late Dr. Kenneth Hagin would say, we have trouble believing God's word because we know ours is worth nothing. But if we could begin to rekindle the value of our word and hasten our word or diligently watch over it to make sure every promise we give, we fight with everything we've got to bring it to pass, we'll learn how easily God wants to bring his word to pass and it will build our faith in his word. But when you and I just spew lies constantly, empty oaths, empty vows, empty promises, empty intentions, we're going to have trouble believing God is any different from us. Amen? 
So let's jump into this. I call this required Christian character. You're not going to go anywhere in the kingdom as you could or as you should without being a man or woman of your word and without finishing what you start. When, when you get exhausted enough time with finishing projects, you'll quit starting them so easily. And you'll obey the scriptures like Luke where it says, no man starts to build a tower except he first weigh the cost to make sure he has sufficient to complete it, lest after he lay the foundation and can't finish it, everybody that walks by points and mocks and says, look, <laughs> that guy started, but what a quitter. You and I were, I think to some degree in our culture, we're man pleasers and we overcommit to please. And we see that in the political arena. They commit to everything because they want to please everybody and they never follow through on anything. I'd rather have a politician commit to only three things and bring them all three to pass than, than to uh, you know, play the game and commit to everybody to try to please everybody. You can't please everybody. You, you ought to strive to please Jesus and let your word stand where you're at and don't extend it any more than you should. Amen. We have so many cliches that acknowledge this in our culture. They say his, his word is good as gold. Who, who, who said it? So-and-so said it? You can bank on that. See, these are all terms that talk about value and wealth just with words. We need to be this way. We need to commit and follow through. And hopefully in the course of these lessons, the Lord's reminding you of commitments you've made or projects you've started, and, and you'll go back and finish them. Our life is propelled by our completions behind us. Our life is not propelled by dreams. Our life is not propelled even by vision. Our life is propelled by what we're completing. You're pushed forward by checking off your to-do list. Ecclesiastes says, in a multitude of stress and sorrow, there comes an abundance of dreams. When your life is miserable, you start dreaming for never, never land. Doesn't mean you're gonna get there. You get out of your misery by completing a to-do list and moving on to the next thing. In fact, I, uh, my wife and I, we are gearing up. This is gonna seem silly to you maybe. We're gearing up to fast spending next quarter. We're not gonna buy anything new just to do it. We'll, we'll repair stuff if it needs to be repaired and we'll buy groceries and gas, but new stuff. No new shoes, no new clothes, no new toys. I gotta make sure I got enough ammunition for deer season because I won't be able to buy ammo. You know, I got more than enough camo, but we're gearing up to fast spending just to, just to dry some things up in our life. And uh, I'm already going, oh, that means I can't buy any books because I, I am an avid reader. And I read anywhere between 15 and maybe 25 books a year, novels, history, biographies, church stuff. I'm working on two geology textbooks about Iceland right now. And I've got Pastor Kerry Gordon's novel, uh, his book I'm reading. And I've got uh, the history of vacations in America. I'm working through that book. And I'm going, I'll, draw, I'll read those books, and then I won't have any other books to read. And then I'm, in my back of my mind, I'm going, I still haven't finished Great Expectations and Pym and Mrs. Havisham and Charles Dickens' most boring classic. I guess I'll drag that thing off the leather-bound bookshelf and put it in the queue, and I will live and not die. I'm going to finish what I started. I, my mind's thinking, all right, got to finish everything I started. I'm going to find all the books that I hated, drag them out, because I finish everything I start unless it's dirty and then I repent and go on and we could learn a lot from that we we're a disposable society and it doesn't help the kingdom we dispose marriages we dispose friendships we dispose anything that we don't want to finish and that feeds poverty that is a one of the classic symptoms of poverty never finishing what you start
and thinking that your happiness is found in another project you haven't started yet. All right, there's enough of an exhortation on this. Let me jump into our lesson here. If we are going to honor God, and we need to, we must live a life that honors him. I think that's pretty explanatory. We must keep our word by finishing the things we have committed to. Now, if you have overcommitted, you need to call and excuse yourself. There's a proverb that says you are bound by the words of your mouth or you're snared by the words of your lips. That both has a spiritual application and a natural. The previous verse talks about being surety or being a cosigner for somebody. And Proverbs goes on to say, my son, do this. Go to now and seek release. Seek to be excused from the thing you've committed to. So that doesn't mean you go and undo all your commitments. It means if I'm committed to Jeff and then I've double booked with Mr. Greg, I can't do both. I've got to excuse myself from one or the other. I don't just not show up. I don't just leave Jeff high because I like Greg better. That's rude. I got to at least call and release myself with the same thing that snared me, which is the mouth of my commitment. So we've got to fulfill every one of our commitments. Ask the Lord to show you what you've committed to that you've never finished. And you'll begin to build a spiritual momentum and a name for yourself and a faith just by doing what you committed to. I know that's not spooky, but you shouldn't be spooky either. That's just basic keeping your word. You ask a pagan, would you rather a spook follow a spooky Christian or a Christian that keeps their word? Uh, you serious? Is that a trick question? Why would you follow someone who's spooky? I want the guy that keeps their word. Even the pagans get it. We spookify it and try to exempt ourselves from keeping our word by being mystic. All right. The work we are called to do will be our testimony, but only if we finish them. We've, that's our testimony but only if we finish it. Talking about the work we are called to do will not prove God has sent us. Talk is cheap. I'm called, I'm called, I'm called, I'm called, I'm called. Yeah, well, you can call it, say you're called all you, all you want, but until you do something, you know, palm tree can claim it's an apple tree all day long, but till it drops apples, it ain't an apple tree. It's a deceived tree. It's transitioning. <laughs> Doing the work and finishing that work the work proves that you are endorsed of God. Hear that again. Doing the work and finishing the work proves you're endorsed of God. If you'll finish what God's given you to start, he'll endorse you. But God doesn't endorse incomplete work. God doesn't endorse uh, vow breakers and covenant breakers and truce breakers. God endorses those that finish what they start. John 19.30 when Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Notice Jesus didn't quit till it was finished. He didn't give up the ghost till it was finished. How many Christians are quitting before it's finished, whatever their assignment is? God gave the law to Moses and diligently watched over his word for 1,524 years until this moment when he could finally say, I have completed that which I have started it is finished. Can you imagine working for 1,524 years to finish the thing you started? Well, we're not God, but then again, we don't live but about 85, 90 years at best. So, and he typically gives us assignments that only take a few weeks to a few months to a few years at best. This is the testimony God has given. And he said, be holy for I am holy. Be holy like I am holy. Be perfect because I am perfect. 
That's a, whole, a high order, but he calls us to do it. Hebrews 12, 2a, looking unto Jesus, the author and the incompleter of our faith. The author and the squirrel. <laughs> no, the author and the finisher of our faith. He authored it. He began it. He invented it. And then he finishes it. That's who we look unto, the finisher. We, we have such a short attention span in this nation, not just because we're American, but because we have a flesh nature. Dr. Barclay has told me more than once, he said, the biggest thing we're battling in our churches, son, is boredom. And that's what happens. We get bored with the assignment. There's no sign Noah ever got bored. But you, you build the same boat for 120 years, that's boring. The Lord said, no, 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 I'm going to introduce you to animal husbandry and you get to handle all the world's animals at the same time. So if you get bored of the boat, go fool with a goat. Get bored of the goat, there's a zebra next door, and then come back to the boat. He'll mix it up a little bit, but then in the end, it's the same thing over and over and over again. There's not a single career you can have that won't be some form of monotonous. Even the dream job has monotony to it. You're a doctor. I'm a heart surgeon. All right, what do you do? I see patients all day long and I operate on hearts all day long. Boring. Well, I'm a car salesman. What do I do? I sell exotic cars. Same car until the new model comes out. Same thing every day. There's nothing on life that does not get monotonous. Not even preaching the gospel. What, what do you think I do all week? Same thing I'm doing right now. Stand in front and look at the same people. Tell them the same thing I've told them a hundred times, hoping they get it one day. <laughs> Boring. Be not weary in well-doing, my son, for in due season you'll reap if you don't faint or shoot the sheep. <laughs> Jesus did not begin something and then get bored and start something else and then get bored and then start something else and then get bored and, 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 and. We do that so much. We get bored and we go on to something else. And that is a sign of immaturity. It's a sign of carnality. It's a sign of being flesh-driven. Mature people say, no, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do it till it's finished. No, I have begun that which I have begun and I will not stop till I've finished it. That's what maturity does. If you don't get a hold of that, your life will be defined by startups and failings and startups and failings. It will literally, and I use this example, it's like vectors in physics. You go this way for a meter, then you stop. Then you go this way for a meter, then you stop. Then you go this way for a meter, then because you get bored and you retreat. And your whole life, you've really gone a thousand miles just nowhere. I'm, yeah, and I'm bored. Yeah, I'm bored. Yeah, I'm bored. And if you had just stuck with it, you'd actually gone somewhere in life. Finish what you start. Unless the Lord puts up a roadblock and screams at you and says, this is sin. But if he's not, then you finish what you start. Philippians 1, 6 being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform or finish it until the day of Jesus Christ. Again, we're just proving this character of God that he finishes everything he starts. This is an aspect in Christ that we've got to get working in us. And if we'll grab a hold of it, we'll be much more cautious to begin things. Now, we live in Tennessee here. The nation has a stereotype of our territory. And it is a true stereotype. All stereotypes are based on truth. You should never be offended if you're stereotyped. You should evaluate yourself. 
What do you have in common with the stereotype? If you're offended by the stereotype, you should be offended by yourself. So the Tennessee stereotype, the Appalachia stereotype, which is really a little bit further east than here, but we still have pretty strong tendencies towards it, is unfinished trailers, unfinished homes, dogs that stand on top of their unfinished dog houses because there's no floor in the bottom. You know, five cars in the, in the grass, the grass that's maintained by billy goats because there's nine lawnmowers that have begun but never been finished. Cars that have more cars on cinder blocks than cars are on tires. And houses that are internally half finished, half sheet rocked, half dried in, half dried out, half dried up. Yeah. Half finished college degrees, half finished marriages, half finished child rearings. That's our region. But the source of all that's poverty and boredom and lack of discipline. This kind of stuff you don't have to teach to Silicon Valley or the New York or Saks Fifth Ave or, or, or Michigan Avenue in, in Chicago or Atlanta, Georgia or Orlando. You don't have to teach this stuff. You don't have to teach this to Hispanics. You don't have to teach this stuff to most immigrants. You have to teach this stuff to poor whitey. And everyone in here except for maybe four of you are whitey. <laughs> and all of us live in Tennessee. So guess what spirit buffets us wave after wave like the ocean beach and just grinds us down if we don't stand strong. We will be tempted to just not ever finish what we start. I have a whole list of projects that stay on my to-do list until they're done. I can't just blink and make them go away. They have to be finished. And any momentum, any faith, any strength, any testimony I have is not by the Holy Ghost. It's by the things he has given me that we have completed. Amen. All right. This is preaching more than it's teaching. But I am, I guess, pastoring my region this morning, trying to help this region take a giant step up. And we get to benefit from that. Jesus performs and finishes what he begins until the end. We should be found faithful performing the work that we begin. We should be found faithful performing that work now, until it's done. Now, I'm sure, should we live to see the Lord's return, there's going to be things he's given us that we don't finish when he returns. But if we're in the process of completing it, it's counted unto us as done. Just like they believed God and it was counted unto them as faithfulness. These all believed the promises, having not received them, but saw them afar off and were convinced of them. And it was counted unto them as though they had received Jesus, though he hadn't come yet. You know, the Lord's given me a church to build. If he comes back tomorrow, I'm not done building this church, but I'm working on it. I'm performing it. I'm in the process of completing it. You know, how's the house coming? We're working on completing it. How much longer you got? Six weeks. Well, it's not completed till it's completed, but you're in the process of completing it. Everything we're doing, we ought to be saying, I'm in the process of completing it, not working on it. Now, I understand now it's kind of a semantics thing, but if our heart says, I'm in the process, this thing's going to be worked on until it's done, then what our heart's really saying is, I'm completing it. You can say, I'm working on it until I get bored and find a squirrel to chase. <laughs> they used to tease me when I was a young geologist, one of my PhD buddies, Dr. Chakraborty, he'd, uh, he'd say, Christopher, he was Indian, Christopher. He'd say, you stay real focused until somebody shows you a shiny nickel. And that was the running joke. Uh, you with us still, Chris? I got a shiny nickel for you. 
And they were harping on me to stay focused because I get bored in those meetings, blah, blah, blah. Global stability, blah, blah, blah. Bearing capacity, bearing rate, blah, 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 whatever. Sand, earthquake analysis. This is not my stuff. This is your guy's stuff. Got a nickel for you. Well, we ought to be in the process of completing whatever the Lord gives us to be found faithful. 2 Corinthians 8, 6. Insomuch that we desired Titus, that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. This is in reference to a teaching on financial giving that Paul was talking to the Corinthian church about. Evidently, from context, Titus had spent some time in the Corinthian church teaching them the benefits of financial giving and sowing to the kingdom and tithes and offerings, and he hadn't finished it. And so he said, we hope Titus can come back and finish this teaching and solidify this grace and this doctrine in your church. Just because you introduce a teaching to a church doesn't mean the church has it. And so you have to spend weeks or months or even several rounds of years to get a doctrine completed in the church to where that's now one of their foundation stones. That's what Titus was called to do. Uh, and sometimes the Lord does that. Uh, he, he begins a doctrinal work in a church and we have to stay on that subject till a bulk of the people have it. And once they've got it, they can kind of share it around and everybody else can get it. There'll always be some people that don't get the doctrines of the church, kind of like church attendance. That's a core doctrine. And, you know, come Sunday night service, you can tell who's got that one and who don't. Your word is your vow. Now, let me read. Paul desired that Titus finish what he had started at the Corinthian church. Hopefully we're seeing this over and over again. This is very much a quality and a characteristic of God that we need. We've got to finish everything that we start. We don't have a problem when that's pizza or ice cream or a movie or a vacation. Those things we easily finish. But what about the hard thing, the laborious thing, the arduous thing, the difficult thing, the text, tech, uh, taxing thing, the perplexing thing, the boring thing? I told you I've got friends that... Um, our armed security at uh, Y-12, um, the repository for uranium there in Oak Ridge is one of the top 10 terrorist hit spots because it's where they store all the weapons-grade uranium. And my buddy Luke and my buddy Brandon work over there as armed security, and they're strapped, and they got MP5s, and they have orders. There's a place out there in Oak Ridge. You drive past this striped area, they can kill you, and it will be your fault. And about once every two or three years, some tree-hugging Peace Corps nun breaks the fence, crosses the line, and they're screaming at her. And it's always about the time of Nagasaki because Oak Ridge helped build the bomb that ended the war. Nobody can, I always like to point this because I've done a lot of history study. The reason we nuke Nagasaki and Hiroshima is because there was nothing else left to bomb. We had firebombed Tokyo off the map. Nobody complains about those bombs. We'd firebomb Kyoto off the map. We'd firebomb everything else off the map. Nagasaki and Hiroshima, which we would have never heard of had we not nuked them, they're the biggest cities left. Nobody talks about just incendiary bombs. No, everybody's against the nuke. What stopped that war really quick? Brandon was telling me, no, it was Luke. Luke was telling me, he called, called me dog. Dog, he said, dog, we shift. We move around on the, on the compound. He said, dog, there's this room they send you to down at the bottom of these stairs. He's an old military. Well, he's a little bit older than me, but he's a military guy. He said, dog, you go down there and you sit behind a desk and there's just a little room the size of a closet and there's another door and your eight-hour shift is making sure nobody comes through that door and if they do, you kill them. I said, seriously? He said, yeah. What's behind the door? He said, don't know. Not supposed to open it. 
He said, I'm afraid to, because if it's coming out and I got to kill it, what happens if you go in? And I'm thinking, this is a psychological test. But those guys have a shift. And I don't know how often that shift comes up, but they have to go down these stairs to some kind of hollowed out bunker. And they sit there for eight hours with an MP5 and probably a Heckler and Clock, uh, cock, uh, pistol and just wait for somebody to come. Nobody ever comes through. I think it's psychological training. But isn't that a boring job? But it's a job. But one day somebody may come. It may be a zombie or something, some kind of glowing apocalyptic thing. Kill it, man. Kill it. You had one job. <laughs> Amen. Finish what you start no matter how boring it gets. Your word is your vow. And as men and women of integrity, we should not require a contract, a promise, a vow, or even a handshake in order to keep our word and bring it to pass. I do my best to operate at this level, and I count on other people too, even though it bites me in the rear end from time to time. Now, in the business world, you can't operate this way because it's just not wisdom. That's why we have law, a lawyer on retainage, and we have to have all of our contracts proofed and just, just to be wise in this wicked day and age. But for you and I, even though we'll sign our name, we shouldn't have to sign our name. Even though we'd say, I promise you, we shouldn't have to say, I promise you. Our reputation should be as such that we'll do it. We'll do it. Because to dishonor God is worse than having to pay this money. I'd rather pay this money and go without for six months or six years than to dishonor my Jesus. In that regard, the Japanese quite shameless because they have more honor than the American church. They, they hate, it's, they'd rather commit suicide than dishonor their family name. You and I, we got grace. Who cares if we dishonor the name of Jesus? He'll forgive us. That ought, to, that ought to be, the name of Jesus ought to be more sacred to us than our own last name. And our honor ought to be very important to us. Our honor as a Christian, full of integrity, respectful of the testimony we bear about. You know, you and I are the number one reason folks don't go to church. Now, maybe not you and I here this morning, but the body. We have all heard it. Well, I don't want to go to church. There's just so many hypocrites. That's what we're dealing with here. What makes us a hypocrite? Breaking our word, saying we're something when we're not. This is required Christian character. Our word alone is our vow. We fight to bring it to pass that God himself would be exalted by our life and by our vow. Now, we don't use the term vow in American English, but we say promise uh, we have all these other new terms now, but vow is a biblical term, so I want to look at it now, but just when I say vow, you just say your word. Just, you know, we're just kind of do the translation there. Numbers chapter 30, verse 2. If a man vow a vow unto the Lord, or swear an oath to bind his soul with a bond, he shall not break his word. Notice, he shall not. That's like a Ten Commandment. Shall not. He shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceedeth out of his mouth. This is not according to all that proceedeth out of God's mouth. This is all that proceeds out of your mouth. This is an Old Testament law. This, is called, this chapter is called the law of oaths, the, the law of vowing. And the Lord is very serious. He was trying to teach God's people to be men and women of their word. If it comes out of your mouth, it's a commandment. You shall repay everything you say. You do that enough times, you stop talking so much, right? We could all learn to do that a little bit better. 
This chapter is referred to as the law of vows. Thirteen times this chapter refers to making a promise as binding your soul. See, we're not so free as maybe we thought. We're free to make a promise, but then we're bound to bring it to pass. We're free to give our word, but then we're bound to bring it to pass. Your soul is not free until you fulfill your promise and bring your words to pass. There's no argument that can say, well, this is the Old Testament. I'm free to lie. No, the Bible comes along and it's even more strict. Jesus says, let your yes be and your no be. Anything more than this is condemnation or damnation. James chapter 4 concludes a list of about 32 things, 32 action items that Christians must do. And it concludes by saying, and above this, let your yes be yes and your no, no. Summarizing in one verse, the law of vows. Well, that's the Old Testament. We're free to lie and slander and, and just, you know, blow smoke and deceive people. Oh, you know, that doesn't make any sense. We're not free to deceive. We are still men and women of integrity. We're still men and women who are supposed to keep our word. But when you go and study the, the, how the Lord had to basically line upon line and elaborate it to a bunch of pagan Jews then you can kind of get the heart of it. The Old Testament has a lot more laws because he's having to wrangle them in. I heard an expression I like this week. Uh, one of the, somebody in Congress said, we're having difficulty getting things done because it's like putting 213 bullfrogs in a wheelbarrow and trying to go somewhere with it. I love that. Now, the guy who said it, I think, is an idiot. But I like the mental image. To, you know, what happens if you put 213 bullfrogs in a wheelbarrow? Do they stay? You might get to the end of the 50-yard dash with two, and they were squished on the bottom. They croaked. <laughs> that was too easy. That was like bump, set, spike. That was easy. The Lord has to give all these laws because you're talking about totally foolish people that know nothing. You come along the New Testament, you had, you know, 30, 40 other books. Now you can just say, your yes is yes, your no is no. Any questions? No, we got it. We've been under the law for a thousand years. We get it. Now we're trying to get free from anything. Your soul is not free until you fulfill your promise and bring your words to pass. Hear that. Your soul is not free until you bring your words to pass. Now, again, you may have to go and recuse yourself or excuse yourself. And, and I've had to do that. We committed to taking a mission trip and had to back out to four pastors, actually more than four pastors, but four nations and four airlines, it seems like. And you bound yourself, you can free yourself, but you can't just not show up. So there is room to excuse yourself and to set yourself free because you snared yourself by the words of your lips. But you got to realize that one of the hardest things I did as a pastor was have to call four nations and the pastors we're friends with in those four nations and say, I can't come. Please forgive me. Pastor, we totally get it. This is the kingdom. This stuff happens. But to just not show up, it's not acceptable. That does produce the reputation of liar, deceiver, con artist, flim-flam man, sham artist. And when that's your reputation, nobody's going to trust you and God won't be able to use you. Leviticus 19.12, you shall not swear by my name falsely. Neither shall thou profane the name of thy God. I am the Lord. Now we've taught on this a couple times, sprinkling it in the last couple services. But swearing and cursing, as the Bible teaches it, has nothing to do with four-letter words in modern English. 
That's what the Ephesians and Colossians calls filthy or corrupt communication of the mouth, coarse jesting. That's what we call dirty language. But because of our culture being a Christian-based culture, we talk about using swear words and cussing. Well, that came from England, you know, uh, the Bible, but swearing under the Old Testament and cursing under the Old Testament has nothing to do with four-letter words that you pay to watch a comedian use. This has to do with invoking God's name and then not bringing it to pass. The swearing of oaths under the Old Testament was used to add credence to a man's word. Now, you had to add credence to your word because you'd lied so many times before. Before you'd say, I will give you my daughter or I'll give you my, my word that we'll go to battle with you. And they broke that, so then they started swearing oaths where they lift up their thigh and they'd sacrifice an animal and do like this thigh handshake. That's an Old Testament thing. It's kind of weird now, but, you know, so it's like chest bump, I guess. Every culture has their weird thing. It was a type of verbal contract, invoking God's name in your promise to get people to trust you and then failing to deliver was called false swearing. So think about that. I, I tell Dr. James, Dr. James, I will be there in the time of battle. And Dr. James says, I appreciate that, sir, but you failed me last time and I lost half my camels. I, I need something better than just your word. I swear by Jehovah God, whom you know I serve, that I'll be there. All right, I'll count on it. Now, if I don't come through, this is what the Bible calls false swearing. This is what the Bible calls profaning the name of the Lord. This is what the Bible calls blasphemy. That is technically blasphemy. Now, the word blasphemy in the Greek and the Hebrew means to take a drill and drill holes in it so it won't hold water. That's why every one of us in here is probably more of a blasphemer than we think we are. Because we've all said, I'm a Christian, you can count on me. Drill. <laughs> Again, what's the number one reason why folks don't go to church? Christians, hypocrisy. Because every, again, maybe we're not, maybe we're doing better. I'm teaching this so we get a lot better. But because Christians invoke the name of Christ and then it don't hold water, why don't it hold water? They drilled holes in it. That's technically what the word blasphemy means. To bore, to pierce, to drill holes in. That's what false swearing is. You gave your word. And then you didn't, because it was going to be inconvenient, because it was going to be too costly, you're just a no-show, you just didn't do it. You just said, I'm sorry, you have to forgive me. I have to forgive you, but it doesn't mean I'm ever going to trust you again. If people don't trust you, you must realize it's your fault. If people don't respect you, you must realize it's your fault. Amen. If people distance you, you must realize it's your fault. Because everybody by nature is trusting Americans by nature are just very gracious. Fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, uh, the other way around. Fool, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. Fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. We're supposed to be wise as serpents. I'm not going to be suckered. I'm going to extend everybody trust, but you start breaking your word, I'm not going to use you, I'm not going to trust you, I'm not even going to give you the time of day. Sometimes Christians feel the cold shoulder and it's accurate. But why would a loving church give somebody the cold shoulder except that they don't trust them? Sheep get nervous when there's something in the flock that isn't normal. And then, man, they kind of move away. And you wonder why every time you come in, man, people move away. It, it may be because false swearing, profaning the name of God are actually blasphemy. 
today we might say it this way. You can trust me. I'm a preacher. You, you can trust me. I'm a Christian. You can trust me. I'm one of your sheep. You can trust me. I'm a brother. You, I go to church. Shoot. You know how many crooked people go to church just for the politics of it? You know how many politicians go to church just to kind of rub elbows and hobnob and work it? They call it marketing. Yeah. And unfortunately, sometimes pastors are bamboozled by them and they become their trophy sheep. Well, I have the mayor in my church or I have the politician in my, I have the football star in my church. Prize sheep. And you pervert your preaching because you got a prize sheep that you want to put on the front row and show off. So you have to tweak your preaching so you don't offend them because then you'll lose your prize sheep. Sheep are sheep. They all look the same. They cloned a sheep. What a stupid animal to clone. What was it? Annie or something was the name of the, the first animal science has ever cloned is a sheep. You really going to sell me that beachfront property in the Rockies? You cloned a sheep. That's ridiculous. <laughs> No, run off the mayor, run off the politician, run off the football player. They're just sheep anyway. Failed promises. Oh, let me, I missed them. Matthew 12, 36. I say unto you that every idle, slow, barren, free from labor, lazy, shunning the labor one ought to perform, every one of those kind of words that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. Every time we give a word that we're not going to bring to pass, we're going to give an account for it. That's going to be a lot of spiritual accounting. The good news is the better we get in life, we can dry those numbers up. Failed promises are idle words. They're barren, they're lazy, and they're free from labor. Failed promises are barren, lazy, and free from labor. Idle words aren't produced when they are spoken. Hear this. Idle words are not produced when they're spoken. Idle words are produced when they're not brought to pass. So we may have a lot of idle words out there right now, like Great Expectations, Charles Dickens, Pym and Mrs. Havisham, and the book I have dreaded reading or finishing for 10 years. It doesn't have to stay idle. I can go bring that thing to pass. Or if I've made a promise to one of you, or even my wife or my kids, I want them to remind me. I forget. God doesn't forget, but he still says, put me in remembrance. I want people to remind me, especially you as my sheep, if I've made a promise to you, I promised I'd get you something or a curriculum or a DVD, remind me because I don't want those words to die idle. As long as I'm alive, they don't have to die idle. As long as you're alive, you can make your words productive. You just go finish it. It doesn't matter how old it is. Maybe you go back and say, I promised you something 30 years ago. I just wanted to deliver it. That would do so much for you spiritually. You just have no idea. You begin to gain stock in your word again. Idle words are produced when the declare of such has shunned the labor they should have performed in order to bring the promise to pass. We will, give, we will have to account for this laziness on judgment day. I want you to know that laziness is not a fruit of the spirit. It is a work of the flesh. God does not promote laziness. He does not endorse laziness. He does not anoint laziness. He is not happy at laziness. And if we're going to be productive Christians, we've got to make sure that everything we say comes to pass. 2000, October 2011, maybe it was November. I'm within a month. That's not bad on 14 years. It's the last day of fall. I think I've told the story. My buddy, he was a true Renaissance man. 
he somehow hornswoggled me into going to ballroom dance classes with him. Nothing gay. He was doing ballroom dancing. He enjoyed it. He brought me along because if you bring a guest, you get like three free lessons. And this guy was really cheap. And they, they give you the pretty girls to dance with because, you know, they're going to try to play the pretty angle. And she's working her thing because she knows that if I sign up, she gets paid more. And uh, I had had ballroom dancing in college. And so I knew most of what we were doing. And she, they, they're like salespeople. They put, they put the thumb screws on you. And I, had, I was not in a place to do ballroom dancing at the time. I was dealing with a bunch of stuff, and, and uh, I was, going, I was doing uh, youth, leadership, uh, youth pastoring. But I made the foolish mistake. I told her, I said, this is not about money. I just can't do it right now. But I'll be back in the fall. I guess this was summer. I'll be back in the fall, and I'll, I'll look at signing up them. I, I, I think I, I had to have committed to her because I came back. And uh, over that summer, the Lord dealt with me even more powerfully about keeping my word, and he began to gnaw at me. And remind me, you, made, you, gave, you gave your word to that girl. And it gnawed at me. And I said, Lord, that's going to be, it's like 450 bucks that I didn't want to spend. I mean, I was a single guy, so I had the money, but I didn't want to spend it on dumb ballroom dance classes. And the Lord gnawed at me and gnawed at me. And finally, one morning, I said, fine, Lord, I will go. And I walked in there and I realized that was the last day of fall. And I was going to absolutely be able to keep my word. And I was so happy to slam down 450 bucks just to keep my word. It was worth it to me. And I took a bunch of classes, and after I finished those like eight classes, I'm like, I am out of here because I am not, I don't have time for this. I got to keep my word. I'll make time to keep my word, but other than that, I'm done. I haven't ballroom danced since. That's been 14 years. But he, stay, he, he stayed on me so hard. 450 bucks, eight, 10 hours of my time, just to keep a word I flippantly gave at a girl to get her off my back. Since then, I've learned the powerful word no. A couple years ago, we went to Cabo San Lucas, and we made the mistake that's a resort low area. We made the mistake of committing to go sit through their timeshare thing so we could get like free snorkel passes or something. What a gimmick. What a sucker gimmick. By then I learned the powerful word no. And so uh, we go and do the timeshare thing and, and they give us the tour and this very nice stuff and, and it's reasonable and they really treat you nice and you know, all the stuff. It's all set up because they're going to get you on the back end. Uh, with all your commitments and, 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 and the money you pay them for like the next 30 years of your life. So then they take you up to the top floor and they take your picture overlooking the arch. It's Cabo San Lucas and, and it's this big atrium with glass and there's like 40 people in there being suckered. I mean, it's like shooting fish in a barrel with a howitzer. And there's tables and like every five minutes there's a champagne thing literally going up, boom, because somebody else has signed a contract on 20 years of timeshare. And... So our poor guy, uh, we got on the trolley with him two hours prior. They promised to take an hour. It never takes just an hour. This is like a two and a half hour commitment of my vacation. I'll never get that time back again. I'm going to recoup some of it right now just to tell it. And so we get on the trolley and I say, sir, I just want you to know we're not going to buy any. This is like the very beginning of the tour. I'm not buying anything from you today. And he said, all right, all right. Well, he, he thought he had his mojo going on. So we get up there and so he starts doing his thing. And I said, sir, we're not buying anything. So we can really stop this right now. He works it from another angle. I said, sir, no, you don't get it. I've told you, we're, we're not going to buy anything. We're, we're pastors. We do missionary, missionary work. You probably fly airplanes. Well, of course we do. We don't swim across to Africa. What airlines do you use? I said, we use South Africa Air, Air a lot. I said, we've used Botswana Air before. You know, we can roll this over for Delta. You don't just have to come. He's doing his little research. You don't just have to come here or one of our resorts. All, you know, showing us all the stuff all over Mexico. We can actually, you can use some of this as airline. I said, that's nice. No, 
He said, well, what about this? I said, no. And my wife said, sir, you just really need to let it go. He's not going to budge on you. I said, sir, you don't know my dad. My dad's name is John Robert McMichael. And he says, no. And I learned from my dad, no. And, he, and I felt bad for the guy because now his, his name doesn't come up for another like two weeks to get to get his sales in or something. He's done for the day or maybe two days. And I really felt bad for him. But no is no. And I'm not giving you 300 bucks a month for the rest of my life just to come here once a year. And he said, well, can you at least give me the name of somebody, maybe somebody in your church? I said, I'm not a pimp. And I'm not giving you the name of anybody in my church because I don't want them to have to go through this like I've gone through it. I said, he said, anybody? I said, I'll give you the name of somebody. John Robert McMichael. <laughs> oh, 322 Maple Tree Drive, 9663036, here you go. Yeah, talk to him. He taught me no. I almost felt bad for crushing that man's paycheck that day, but not at all. That was the most expensive snorkeling we've ever done in my whole life. It cost me two and a half hours of my soul. <laughs> yeah, because I'm not going to commit to something. If, if it's not in my heart, it's not faith. You're not going to manipulate me, and I'm not going to commit to it. All right. James 5.12. We're running out. Of, we're, we're past time. But above all things, I was in James 5, not 4. I was wrong. But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your nay nay, lest you fall into condemnation or damnation. James summarizes the whole law of vows, Numbers chapter 30, by saying, yes is yes, no is no. He was quoting Jesus Christ. Yes is yes, no is no. He was quoting his master, his rabbi, his savior. Yes is yes, no is no. We can summarize all of Numbers chapter 30 and the 13 laws of vows by saying, your yes is yes, so you show up. Your no is no, so you don't commit. Sometimes we think there's a third option. Carnal flesh always wants a third option. There can only be, this is binary, this is mathematics. Yes or no. I set before you life and death. Choose life. James adds another dimension. Mean what you say and say what you mean. This is described as being above all things. That's how critical this is. Final thoughts. Poverty rarely finishes what it starts. And it sounds like this. I've been meaning to do that. That's poverty. I've been meaning to get to that. Excellence will finish what it starts. Excellence is a finisher. Pastor Mike Campbell told me one time, we've lost the art of finishing. Take pride in your work. Master it. God finishes everything he starts. Do you? God gives his word and then follows through. Do you? God keeps his vows. Do you? Anyone can start a race, but will you finish yours? People get excited at the start of a race, but do you have what it takes to finish it? Our friend April Eichholz, she ran a marathon one time and there was a picture of her we found. She's laying on somebody's lawn. I said, what is this, April? She said, that's six miles from the finish line. So what are you doing? She said, dying. <laughs> did you finish it? She said, miserably, I did. Have you run a marathon since? No. No, I ran one and that's enough. <laughs> Anybody can start a race. There's all this energy in the beginning of the race. But on mile 25, when it's just one person a mile ahead of you and one person a mile behind you, and you're left with nothing but your pain, can you finish it? Anybody can start to build, but will you finish your tower? That requires money or it's going to cost you something. Anyone can start a war, but will you fight to the finish? That speaks of endurance. A Christian is only as good as their word. Make sure you reflect the character of Christ by always, I'll add, always keeping your word. 
Father, I thank you for these powerful lessons. May it stick to our spiritual bones. May we say, that's, that's what I need to do, Lord. I need to make changes in that arena so I can be a man and woman of integrity for your glory. Bless these lessons. Bless this pod school, Lord, for future use. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.